0: Can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six we will be picking up in verse six and just looking at the, the next section here, verse six through eleven. And it actually kind of picks up on the same theme. We it's two weeks ago now uh, that we looked at the first five verses of chapter six. Um, which dealt with the Sabbath. Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. And so you have the the same topic picked up here again in verses 6 through 11. And throughout the Gospels, you find Jesus in conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes. And much of that conflict surrounds Sabbath activities. And the Pharisees are nitpicking everything that Jesus and his disciples are doing. They're criticizing him. There's this is conflict and really, if we're looking at how that relates today, we'd have to admit that the Sabbath conflict has pretty much disappeared. Uh, we we really don't uh, debate it much, uh, but it's it's not for a good reason, I think, because really we've we've decided that it no longer applies. And J.C. Ryle, in his commentary on this passage, he says this, We must take heed that we do not abuse the liberty which Christ has given us. It is in this direction that our danger chiefly lies in modern times. There is little risk of our committing the error of the Pharisees and keeping the Sabbath more strictly than God intended. We typically don't have a problem Becoming legalistic about all the things we do and practice on the Sabbath day—it's usually the opposite. Right? It's 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 the neglect of worship, or it's the neglect of setting aside the day for rest and worship. Um, and it might be from a theological conviction that someone has that all days are the same. That's that's one answer, um, but um, you know, but we believe. And our Westminster Confession and Standards teach uh, that the Sabbath is just as relevant today as any of the other Ten Commandments, right? that we are to honor them, to honor the day. Um, so our Lord's, what we'll see here is our Lord's perfect obedience of the Sabbath involved works of mercy. Last time we considered verses 1 through 5, we said that his perfect obedience of the Sabbath involved Works of necessity. I did, they had to eat. And so as they were walking along um, in the fields, they were plucking grain and threshing it. And, and the um, Pharisees condemned them for working on the Sabbath. But that was a, a work of necessity that as travelers they had every right to pluck grain and to, uh, and to enjoy it. Um, and that it was required of the farmers to leave, a, leave the edges of their fields free for travelers and for the poor to come and glean um, from their fields. And so, as a work of necessity, now here we see it's a healing, it's a work of mercy. And so, in the Lord's obedience to the Sabbath, which was his custom, which was what we see him doing regularly is, is gathering, with the, uh, gathering in the synagogue and teaching, and he had a custom of, of honoring the Sabbath day, uh, we see him also doing these works of necessity and mercy. Again, so that's sort of by way of introduction to this passage. Let's ask for the Lord, Lord's help in understanding it before we read it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, once again, to sit under your word. And as at all times... Whenever we open your word, we depend upon your spirit to give us insight and clarity of thought, to help us understand how it applies to us today and to be obedient to your word, to be comforted by the gospel message that is also in this passage. Lord, but we ask that you would give us eyes to see this truth, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are softened to respond appropriately. Appropriately to this word. And Lord, may you be glorified in all of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Read with me Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, or he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what, what they might do to Jesus. Amen. this is God's holy word. Well, Jesus' opponents have now intensified their efforts. Right? Previously, they noticed Jesus and his disciples walking along in the field and plucking grain. It's almost like they just kind of happened to see him and notice him and, and get upset. Well, here, they're actually gathering in the synagogue, in order to catch him, in order to accuse him. That is the motivation behind them gathering together in the synagogue. Right? They are deliberately there to find wrongdoing, to bring an accusation against him. And so in this opening two verses here, verses six and seven, I just want us to, to consider the fact that they are seeking to accuse him instead of approve him. They're they're not looking to bring peace and to find acceptance of Christ, they're absolutely looking to destroy his ministry, to bring accusations against him. And so opponents have, are continuing to spy on Jesus now. Right? They're seeking to accuse him. They spent time in the synagogue. It says watching. They're, they're in the synagogue watching him. Instead of hearing him. He's there to teach, to expound upon the word of God. And they're hearing none of it. They're simply waiting to bring an accusation. It seems they've given up on um, kind of trying to trap him in his words, taking his teaching and and trying to to find an air in it because he's he's bested them in every argument that they've had. So now they're going to trap him in his actions. And you wonder if they've even planted this man, this sick man, or if they at least knew he would be present so that they could say, is he going to heal this man with the withered hand who's amongst us? And we don't see that in the text that they planted him, but it does, it just seems to be consistent with their character in this passage. But let's bring it down a little more uh, to our level. Because I, I think it's it's easy to look at this and say, I can't believe they would go to synagogue to just bring an accusation against Jesus. And yet, how often have have we gone to church with, Impure motives. Right, maybe it's hard to imagine how anyone so religious like the Pharisees could have their motives so thoroughly mixed up. And yet, I know when I was a child, I went to church because my dad would take me to the store afterwards to buy a toy. So we would go and worship and then we'd break the Sabbath by buying something. In the store. anyways. Now, that was something that I just think... Well, yeah, my motivation for going, I would go and I would sleep in the pew so that I could go and get a, a toy afterwards. That, I don't know if I retained anything from those trips to church. But he was trying to do what uh, he thought was, was best for me, creating a pattern in my life of, of worship on Sunday morning. But again, it was fully mixed up with impure motives, and I think that it, it possibly did more harm than good. And then I think about as an adult, how have I come to church with impure motives? Have I ever come with a critical spirit? Just listening to the person, waiting for him to say something that I could trap him with later. Especially as my own theology was shifting from the direction of the church that I was worshiping in. Coming with impure motives, coming to worship God and having... Motives that are selfish. I don't think that's all that uncommon today. And what's remarkable here is not that the Pharisees had that attitude. But what's remarkable is that Jesus continued to show up. He continued to endure their criticisms Sabbath after Sabbath. It's not as if he said, oh, I'm not going to that synagogue. I know those Pharisees. They're up to no good. No, he goes from synagogue to synagogue. He goes from crowd to crowd. He continues to put up with the criticisms of the crowd. And much of the conflict surrounded his Sabbath day, a day that he's trying to honor the Lord in in worship, honor his father in worship and performing these works of necessity and mercy. In training up and equipping the disciples who followed him. And it's filled with conflict. His opponents were relentlessly present, and yet Jesus never backs down. Right, He he defends his actions, and he calls under, into question their accusations. And that's what we see with the way he turns this back on them. Rather than cowering to their accusations, he, he heals this man. In fact, he knows their thoughts. He knows that they're wanting to accuse him. And he specifically brings the man in front. He doesn't wait. He could have healed him after the service. But it's like he wants to prove a point. He brings the man in front of everyone to have this public healing. He knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you. And he looks back at His opponents, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Before he heals the man, he poses them with a question. And that question had a very obvious answer. But you don't hear one from the Pharisees. You hear silence. They don't respond with anything because they're so focused on trapping Jesus that they're unwilling to admit any error in their own morality the Reformed study Bible says because his critics are watching for an excuse to accuse him Jesus who knew their thoughts turns the healing of the man's withered hand into a public confrontation and rebuke of their callous hearts He doesn't directly rebuke them but by this question he's they're being convicted I mean right if, if, if they had a conscience if the spirit was working, There would have been conviction from this rebuke. They were being challenged directly by Christ's actions here. And so once again, Jesus proves his authority over sickness as well as his unwillingness to cower before his accusers. He's willing to stand before them and to endure their criticisms. And ultimately, this will take him all the way to the cross. We see him as we've reflected upon in this satisfaction of Christ. This was all a part of his humiliation. The suffering that he endured. Every day of his ministry, it would seem. All led him to the cross. Where he would bear our shame. But what do we learn here about his healing? I think works of mercy are not only permissible on the Sabbath, but they promote its purpose. Right? They support the work that we're here to do right? because it's a reflection of God's mercy to us. If we have been the recipients of so much grace and mercy, then how can we not go and show it to others? Right? So these works of mercy are good. And the implication is that it would have been evil for Jesus not to heal the man. Right? For him to let the man stay in the state of suffering when he had the power to heal him. So he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? If it's within your power to save life, then you must save it. And so I would reflect on that as well. Right? If, If we aren't doing good on the Lord's day, then we need to recognize that what we're doing is evil. Those are the options that Jesus presents to his accusers. And in fact, by presenting this as a question, he turns them from accusers into the accused. They're now on the the stand. And that's why they're so enraged by the end of this passage. It's why they're so filled with fury. Again, the Pharisees capitalize on an opportunity to show their true colors here. Uh, an, an, accusi- uh, or an occasion that should have left everyone speechless with awe and joy. To so imagine a man who's got a shriveled hand who, who hasn't been able to stretch out his arm. And Jesus says, stand up here. And, sh- and he tells him, stretch out your arm. And as you're watching, it's like, Magically being healed as he responds in obedience, right? He stretches out his arm and, and and there's a healing taking place. It would have been happening right in front of their noses. And instead of rejoicing, instead of saying, wow, instead of looking at Jesus and, and worshiping him, falling upon their faces and saying, how could we have come into this with such mixed motives Let us repent. Let us worship Him. Our Lord and Savior, clearly we are in the wrong. Instead, they look at Him with disgust. They look at Him with fury and anger. I couldn't imagine being in that position. And yet, apart from the work of the Spirit, that is where we are. We are not drawn... To God's mercy until He opens our eyes to see it. And so the Lord, He sets apart one day in seven in which we gather together to rest from our worldly labors in order to worship and show love and mercy to others. That is the constant refrain in Scripture about the Sabbath day, right? That it is to be a delight. It is to bring joy and comfort and mercy. It is to be something where we rejoice. To fellowship with one another. And to enjoy worship with God. And yet many have replaced worship with entertainment. Others have replaced acts of mercy and kindness with bitterness and gossip. And I think all of us should consider what motivates us to gather for worship what is the motivation behind our heart every time we come and there's a time to prepare our hearts the reason why we say prepare your hearts before worship is because we know we're all prone to, to have the wrong motive to sit here and think how much longer till we get out of here i can't wait i'm getting a little hungry yeah I mean, they, these are all things that go through our minds and, and so we need to find time to to just simply sit with this call to worship in front of us and reflect. We're asking for the Lord to meet us here, to speak to us, to transform us. And that requires our whole being, and not just our presence, but the motivations of our heart affect how we receive and engage in worship. So in conclusion, our Lord's perfect observance of the Sabbath certainly involved works of mercy. What Jesus meant for good, his opponents regarded it as evil. What It's being fulfilled here, what Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And they're turning the actions of Jesus on their head. They're calling what he's doing that is good, evil. And they're condemning him for it. And the scribes and Pharisees are a very picture of the rebellion right, that they are engaged in. And yet, they remain, even after his death, Steadfastly religious, they, they wanted to make sure that when he was on the cross, that he was taken down before the beginning of the Sabbath, so that they could honor the Sabbath day. The irony in that is remarkable. They remained steadfastly religious, and yet their hearts were in utter rebellion, against their Lord. And then on the other hand, you have Jesus Christ, who's a picture of compassion and mercy, whose very actions here testify of the kind of religion that is pure and undefiled. A religion that James speaks about, right, where he encourages us. Sorry, let me get to it. James 1, and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To show acts of mercy to the orphans and widows, those who are in need. That is what this is about. And so let us delight to respond with more love to our Savior who gives us the picture of this kind of mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.